you know, the business closest to the customer wins. And that's because if you can speak directly to their pain points in their own language, then they're going to trust that you have the solution that they need. So logically, you think you want to spend some time and some resources either hosting events or being part of events, but we tend to associate that with very, you know, high-priced activities that only really big companies can do. And that's why I had to bring this guest on to just teach you that that's not true, right? Mark Killens is the CMO of Airme, which is one of the best online event platforms that, that I've seen out there. But more importantly, he's a guy that's really been a part of a bunch of high growth companies that have done it through different forms of events, in person, online, and you know a mix of both. And that to me is the real value of this conversation. It's this idea that events are valuable. We all know we can use them, but what's the new format for them, right? Like who can use these things? We get really deep into those conversations here with Mark, who's a total expert in it. And we do it through an online talk show, which is my version of a weekly event. As a small company that doesn't have a whole bunch of budget for advertising, these weekly events fill up my pipeline. And it's just an online activity that leads to a bunch of other externalities. So I encourage you to just dive into this topic, figure out how you can add more events into your life and into your business because they're really a high ROI activity as long as you do it right. So that is what you're here to learn from Mark Killens. Enjoy. If you know how it is, then you know how it might be. But think what it would look like if you grow your own community. It ain't easy. That's why you're listening to hear experiences from others just like you and me. Welcome to the B2B Community Builder Podcast, a show that was started because if you can unlock the power of having a community around your business, then you will create a source of referrals, validation, marketing content, and product feedback that will be unbeatable. But who has time to think about building a community when you need to be making sure that your team has what it needs to succeed in serving clients and bringing in revenue? That is why we'll be talking to business leaders like you and I that have cracked the code on why the community play is so valuable, how to implement tactics that got them there while still serving short-term goals, and what they can teach you that they have mastered. This show is for you if you are a CEO, CMO, or simply a rainmaker that has realized that without a community, you are just a commodity, but haven't figured out how to add it to your infinite list of priorities. This show is for you if you are a community professional or trying to be a community professional that is trying to convince leadership about the need to invest in a community strategy. This show is not for you if you think transactions are more valuable than relationships. I am your host and chief executive connector, Pablo Gonzalez, co-founder of BeTheStage.Live, a marketing company that specializes in relationship-driven growth. I invented the relationship flywheel and hopefully... I'm your new best friend. So smash that subscribe button, leave a rating when you do, and get ready to plug into the power of community creation for business development. Let's go. Welcome to the B2B Community Builder Show. We are on episode 215 today. I'm your host, Pablo Gonzalez and Chief Executive Connector. And I'm super pumped for the show because I started following Mark Killens on LinkedIn, I don't know, man. You hit my radar, I think, right when you joined AirMeet, and everything that y'all have been doing has been super duper impressive. I love the category design of this like event-led growth. I firmly believe in event-led growth because this is what basically what we're doing right now, right? Like I've I just didn't have the great languaging to prove it. And and you're working on kind of what the most exciting thing that I think is happening at any company that I've seen, which is this creator studio, which we might get to later. But beyond that, your LinkedIn content is phenomenal. I find myself just like nodding to everything you're doing. I'm like, this dude writes copy. So, and and then we, you know, I've had the pleasure to get you on another show and see how good you are conversationally. So welcome to the show, Mark. I'm super pumped to have you, man. That's quite the intro. So thanks for having me. Hello, everyone listening in live. Great to be with you today. I come from just north of Boston, Massachusetts. You can actually see some snow. We finally have snow on the ground. 
but no, I'm pumped. And yeah, thank you for those very kind words. All right, man. Well, we like to we like to welcome the community when they first join in. So Kirsten, I see you in there. Good to have you. Pete Prizio. Pete, good to have you, man. Join in here. I'm, I'm pumped that you're on board. Simon Zatirka, who's our, our resident, like the kitchen mechanic, man. He comes from these like the chef world and is unbelievable operationally. And my buddy, Tony Winslow, my friend, Tony Winslow, he doesn't like to be called buddy. My friend, Tony Winslow, who's my resident fellow in-house Ace Ventura impersonator and super brilliant marketer. In case you need anybody on your team, Tony's looking. So, you know, no big deal. But I love to jump right into it, man. Let's Let's talk about this idea of Event-led growth, what is it and why is this actually relevant to businesses and not just some kind of like new marketing jargon? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we can unpack it starting at the highest of levels. Like, so why, like why events, why do you need, even take events out of the equation, why do you need another approach to to your go-to-market? Not just for marketing, but also for sales and CS. For me, we're kind of in this this time where connection is getting harder, but also more important. What I mean by that is we're in this inflection point for B2B go-to-market. B2B go-to-market is crowded. You have a lot of what I call brand spam. We can unpack that if you want, but we have a lot of brand spam. We have a redistribution of how people buy things, where they work You know, because of the pandemic. We have increasing cost pressures that have been going on for some time, but now have really increased because there's no more free money. Your money is no longer free, if you will, because of interest rates and other things, combination of factors. It's There's a few other reasons, but it's really hard. There's all these like secular trends putting a lot of like downward pressure on B2B go-to-market and just, just go-to-market in general. Forget even just B2B, even B2C. So when you think about like the the traditional ways of going to market, you got sales led, right? Outbound, if you will, you know, inbound in my marketing content led, kind of call that content led plus community led that kind of goes hand in hand with inbound. You got product led, which has been going around for like 15 now years strong. And you might have a few other flavors, but those probably are like the core, the four or five you have customer led, which is coming up more now, like, you know, going to market through the voice of your customer. And when I was at Drift, I was like, hmm, we're doing a lot of things with engaging webinars, in-person events. Then we pivoted to online events, more webinars, events that we would host on our own, events that we would partner with people on, big, small, doesn't matter. And we we saw all this. I saw all this, Pablo. And it's like, wow, 60% of our revenue, sorry, not revenue, but 60% of our pipeline and a good chunk of our revenue every quarter was coming from this exact motion, events, in-person, online, webinars, doesn't matter. Again, I'm just using the term generally. And that's about that was about fifteen to twenty million a quarter in in pipeline, and you could just put an average close rate to that. You can kind of get to revenue. So I'm like, we're onto something here, right? We had a small PLG motion, but most of what Drift was founded on was content led, inbound content and content led, which is inbound, event led, and sales led. Those are the three motions at Drift. And so when I was approached, you know, from Sequoia and 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 Aramid, the founders, I was like, yeah, I think. I think there's actually a term that that we could we could use to actually help people understand the power in taking something that's first off really about engagement and captivating an audience and then turning that engagement into intent data or data. We could talk about event intent data in a moment as well, but turning that into data that you can action in three different ways. So the first way is to help to discover new accounts, new buyers, new leads. That's the discover part of event-led growth. The second way is to engage your buyers and customers in ways that will move them through the buying journey in a, in a better, more personalized way to get the pipeline faster, to engage and educate them, if you will, right? It's that engage piece. And then the third way, before I'll stop and pause for questions, comments, I see there's Scott, thanks. Events are great. Plays are great. I agree. The third way is to grow. How can you use events to grow your your customers and your advocates? And actually, at my HubSpot days, the first things I did way back in 2010 and 11 was using online events, online trainings hosted through Kodu Webinar and Cisco WebEx, if you remember those tools, to actually help our customer success team make our customers more successful. It was all about customer success, retention, adoption. And we did a ton of online events, sometimes multiple a week, catered at teaching people how to do inbound marketing and using HubSpot better all through live online experiences. And that was helping them grow and us grow. So discover, engage, grow are the kind of three core ways you can think about event-led growth. And then it's using that data and using that engagement that that is ultimately like the pinnacle of, of a great event, engagement, excitement, entertainment, all those different you know verbs and, and adjectives 
to actually grow your business. So I, I, I kind of gave a holistic picture in, in a snapshot, Pablo. I just wanted to kind of like make sure everyone understood where we were coming from. <clears throat> I love it, man. That's what I was hoping you would do. I had no doubt that you would knock it out. I love the efficiency of it, right? Like this idea of, I mean, as a go-to-market motion, you need to be able to discover prospects, engage, you know, engage buyers, grow the relationship, like do all this stuff. And and like you, I was doing, you know, my 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 background came from hosting these like nonprofit events where I was able to connect with very influential people in my city. And all I really needed was like eight or nine young professionals that were looking to get ahead in their career and learn something. And I got to be kind of like that, that the event became the junction point between my audience and the people that I wanted to meet and, 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 you know, the people I wanted to serve. And I just continued to parlay that to like you hosting zoom events in 2018, right? Like before it was a thing before zoom became a household name, now as a small business, right? As a as a as a small marketing agency, I think that this idea of event-led growth is the most efficient motion because of a, a couple of things that I wanted to, to talk about. But what do you tell people when they're like, if when you say event-led growth and people are just like, I don't know, man, I don't have the bandwidth to do a conference. I don't have the, you know, I I I I don't have the, like the way to like fly people in or or do a road show or something like that. What do you what do you tell people who think this idea of event-led growth is for a bigger company or out of their league or too much for them? No, it's a great question, but I also love the point you just made around how events are a great way to spark a community and to create connections. Like think about content. Does content, content can help spark a community. I've witnessed that firsthand in my past two companies, but think about the dynamics you're playing into today. All those things I mentioned about five minutes ago, those, those pressures that are being put onto business and on, and on you as an owner, as someone in marketing sales, events, first events, you have to rethink what you mean when you say events. It's not like a big online conference or online or in-person event. Like that's, no, no, no. The first place I would start, and we're actually building a maturity model, a way to think about this over time, how to get started simply and how to grow into something that really transforms your business. Cool. It starts by just saying, look, I have a point of view or I have some customers and I'm going to bring that point of view of those customers into an online event to start with, or it could be in person, but it doesn't have to be big, 20, 30, 40, 50 people, right? And I'm going to share that. And I'm going to see what happens as a result from that. Because at the end of the day, if you do that to start with, events are a great thing to, yeah, repurpose, we can talk about that, but it's a feedback loop. So if I'm just getting going and I need to talk to more people, learn more about my audience, learn more about the community that could be surrounding my product, I'm pivoting into a new product. I want to get as close as I can to those customers or those potential customers, Pablo. And I'm going to use events, again, rethink what you mean by an event, as a way to form that relationship, to create that connection. And then what I'll do is I'm going to say, great, hey, if it's an online event, I'm going to take a lot of lessons from that, a lot of learnings, and I might turn that into some social content, or I might turn that into a small piece of content, right? And you go into the content-led motion, or I'm going to you know, chop that up into some some videos for YouTube, like whatever makes sense for your audience. But at the end of the day, I think the fastest way to spark someone's attention and a really strong signal of buying, potential buying intent, or at least interest in your brand or your point of view is when you get people to show up live. Like look at today, everyone's showing up live. Thank you so much. I'd love to know why you showed up today. Like why? Was it the title? Was it just to see Pablo? Like what, what was the reason why you showed up? Because you're using at the end of the day, the most precious resource you have, your time right now on this event. So like, that's a signal, right, Pablo? It's a signal. So yeah. 100%. 100%. I, to me, this is, at, I'm glad that you went to the signal conversation, right? To me, this is at the crux of everything that I am espousing in this whole like internet talk show methodology, right? Like you can, you can have a podcast or you can do a YouTube channel or you can want to go hard at LinkedIn. And that often feels like, I call it audience in content creation, right? Like it's like you spend all this time thinking about all these ideas that you want to put out there because you think that your clients are going to like it. Then you spend all this time producing it. You throw it out there and you hope to hear an echo. Whereas a weekly event, right? Or a 
quarterly event or a monthly event or an every two weeks event completely shortens that feedback loop. I can tell you right now, there's two people in the that, that are here listening live that are people that I would love to do business with their company. That is a giant signal for me, right? Then there is a couple of people in here that I'm hoping take my relationship flywheel cohort online class in June, another great signal for me, right? So, so if, if instead of, if instead of doing this week to week and seeing how it goes week to week and who's showing up, and if I'm actually capturing the attention of my very tiny pipeline, cause I'm a small company, then instead I would have just batched a whole bunch of content, made it, it would be on some kind of drip. I would be completely disconnected from it. But instead I'm in the trenches with my pipeline, with people that I want to build strategic relationships with, like, like Kirsten and Scott. And then it also allows me to advertise, Hey, this super smart dude's coming on my show. Why don't you show up? And all of a sudden a new name comes and, Oh, Hey, I got somebody new that I just reached. That makes a lot of sense to me. Right. That feedback loop to me is infinitely valuable. I'm glad he went there. hundred percent. And and we can get into like how I would structure your event led growth strategy. It's, it's a multi multi pronged kind of approach, but the the why is super important because you got to think about why you're doing it as a business. Mm -hmm. Then you need to think about it from the, the attendees perspective or the audience perspective. Why would they sign up, show up, engage, or maybe watch a replay? Like most people focus on more the business side or maybe not even enough on the business side of the why, but if you really want to put the audience, so I love all this commentary, Scott, Kirsten. Yes, I'll, I'll answer that question in a second, Kirsten. You, if you want to put the audience at the center of the event, you got to ask the question, not just who are you trying to get to this event, why would they leave that event and feel something different? Like feels like, because like, I think that's the that's the difference between events and a lot of these other motions. Like product led growth, it's not like really people first. It's 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 you know it's product first. Events, it's a people first motion. And more important to your point today, Pablo, you got to get close to those customers, close to your community, close to those when you win. Can I? Do you mind if I answer Kirsten's question? Or like take, take I would love to get into Kirsten's question, right? So Kirsten asks, how do we? You know, so so Kirsten is a very high level business consultant, advisor. She's out of the New York startup scene. She's starting this community of people. It's like a three-tier community of people that are going from zero to one, people that are kind of there already, and then mentors and investors that are that are pulling things together. And I'm just giving you background on her question, right? Of like how to take, yeah. how, how, and she wants to know how you take it from events to a community platform that is going to be its own community platform, right? I think it's, she has like a custom dashboard, super cool product and maintain engagements at a high level. So wh- wh- where is that intersection for you? Well, we should, we should talk after this. So I love the question number one, but so I'll give you an example. We're actually say two months from now, we're going to announce a strategic partnership with a community software platform named Higher Logic. Okay. And we actually have another one in the works as well, more on the advocacy side, a little bit less community, more on the advocacy side, Influitive. So we believe there's a huge intersection happening between event-led, community-led, and and yeah, Mm customer-led. And the more that those solutions can speak to one another and learn from one another, which means, hey, let's create this identity of a unified profile of someone who comes to our events, participates in the community, do these things, the better that is. If you're thinking about that from like a non-software standpoint, just more like, hey, how do I take my community that I have today and get them involved with events? Yeah. That's that's definitely a different question. And some tips that I would you know recommend you know for that is episodic events are fantastic. And I don't think enough people do them. Would you though, Pablo, this is an episodic event, right? You've done 210, you said? A hundred percent. Yeah. Well, I I haven't done all 210 live. It's all evolved, right? But I've probably done a hundred live. And would you say the live ones that you did since you went live, like doing them live, that's the better kind of approach. Go live, then repurpose, then then becomes podcast, becomes my LinkedIn feed, YouTube, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, because you're getting double the signals. If you didn't do it live, you miss out on all the live intense signals, right? Yeah. So the community to me is then it's like, I always say, you don't get to choose your community. The community 
happens because you might influence the spark that creates a community. So HubSpot's community spark, in my opinion, goes all the way back to the creation of the HubSpot blog. And then the second thing that continued to, to grow that community, that the, the spark that really ignited it was the HubSpot user group summit, now called Inbound. That's a fun fact. It was initially called Hugs, HubSpot user group summit. And they rebranded that after two years to Inbound. Drift, the spark for that community was content. It was the Seeking Wisdom podcast. So the question now is like, you know, do you have or do you need a spark for your community? Or do you need another spark to keep the fire going, to make the fire a little bit brighter, bigger? And that's where I think events are such a powerful thing. And if you make them episodic in nature, it could be based off a season or not a season, but start live. Always live is better than not live. You're going to get a double whammy because someone else made the comment around content and events go so well together. I completely agree with you, right? At the end of the day, like this is content. But it's also participation. Like, you know, I love the interaction that we're seeing in the chat. More questions, the better. More more opinions, the better, by the way, in the chat. I'd love to hear from all of you and what you think. But I don't know what's a better people first go to market these days than events, content, and customers. Because, I mean, sales-led is good, but like, it's like a necessary evil, right, Pablo? But like, no one likes... Outbound is tough right now. And Outbound's gone. It's getting harder. And it's it's just... If I was a salesperson, I'll give you a really pro tip. I would take control of my own destiny and I would do mini events for my target accounts and I would build my own marketing funnel through doing events through the customers I've signed up or trying to sign up through the people I've had relationships with in the past and like build my own marketing funnel through outbound, through outbound events. I don't know. That's just, yeah. Dude, that reminds me, that reminds me of, and Chris, Kirsten, I got to take on you, but that reminds me of just to validate what you're saying. That reminds me of one of the best, I came from the construction industry, which is very nebulous about selling. Cause it's like, was it the estimate? Was it this thing, right? Like it's salespeople, business dev guys in construction get very little credit, but one of the highest performing sales guys, biz dev guys in construction that worked for Turner at the time in Miami, he would host like small dinner parties, you know, periodically with senior project managers from construction, right? It's the same thing. It's, it's, it's an event, but it gives you that excuse to interact with people. Kirsten, to, to, to answer, to give you my take on, on your question of taking it from event to community platform. What I've experienced is that the event becomes the place that you make your superheroes, right? And for you to have a community, you need to be beyond just yourself, as like the big evangelist, right? Like you need eight to 12 real evangelists that are in there promoting it, that feel like they are a big part of it. And you use the events to highlight them, to give them the credence so that once people want to know more more about them, if they're on your platform, they will go to your platform to build the relationship. And you can do it in multiple kind of like levels, right? Like you can use the event as how to bring in new people, um, and get them interested because you're going to talk about something interesting with someone that they want to meet. And in that event, you can also validate the the, the secondary superhero, the, you know, right, the other superhero that's going to be in the community that they want to know more about, or you can highlight that person there. And then you can have community-only events where you position that superhero to teach people within it. And that can be everything from like a cohort class to other you know secondary events. But I'll tell you that the the community happens in the chat, right? Like we are we are you know, we, we literally just had this weekend, a meetup for my most mature community, which is the not Travage investor show. And that thing, you know, we had 50 people flying from all over the country to take like a one day tour of Jacksonville and get to know each other. It was incredible, but it all happened with people becoming friends in the chat of a freaking zoom call. And the reason why they came some already invested, some were looking to invest, but they came to meet the people that they had been chatting with, which is why I'm so high on Airmeet, right? Like I think that Airmeet as a live event online platform facilitates networking and connection in chat and then post event because it has that like networking kind of like interface better than other ones, right? So the, the job of the event for you is to drive the different vectors of connection between you and the people that are coming in curious and then them to 
the the rest of the Avengers that you want to be a part of that are going to be active inside of your platform so that they continue to go and you can continue to highlight them that way. It's well said. I gave you like the 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 strobe mode on my Airmeet logo because I saw that, the way, I saw that, yeah. <laughs> no, I, the, the, yeah, you nailed it with like making the community and people, your customers, potential customers, thought leaders, people that have a point of view that you want to help other or help that person get out to the world, make them the star of your events. Mm-hmm. Right? And then like community, you know, some of some aspects of community building, this is a, this is a great, you know, topic in, in question right now. Some of it is, I, I hate these terms, but you know, it's, it is what it is. It's like asynchronous or not live and yep. then synchronous live. Mm-hmm. And you need both. Like, you, you know, you need both. And some of it needs to be done online and some of it needs to be done in person. If you can only do online, that's okay. Some some communities are 95% at least online. And then there's maybe one or two times a year when they, they can actually get together in person or it's very like local. Like, like, yeah, that's that's fine too, right? But like yeah. at, at the end of the day, I think what it comes down to is, you know, if you use something like Airbnb, I'm, I, I'm not going to talk about the tool. I'll just mention this one thing because you brought it up, Pablo. You can keep an event open forever. Like with Airmeet, you never have to actually shut down an event. So that's a community building thing right there, right? People can pop in and we're thinking about how to innovate in this area where it's like your community ID can be open for 365, 24-7. And you could have like predetermined times throughout the month when people come together in a group fashion. But you could also keep it open where people can just stop by the social lounge or however you're going to brand it and drop in for a table conversation or book meetings with each other. So I think there's like, when you think about community software too, you have to think about, and the community design, how much do you want to facilitate an always on type of experience? You know, that's maybe more like rooted in like, Hey, I got a, I got a forum that people have conversations in versus an always on experience that facilitates your point, Pablo, real connections in real time. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, that's well said, man. I love that y'all are moving that way of of having that thing open forever. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very tool agnostic, right? Like I don't, I don't, you know, I think mighty networks is cool. Circles cool. Facebook groups is a Mark Zuckerberg experience, but, and, and, and I'm not like Mr. Mr. Tech guy. So I'm not always trying them, which is why I really haven't evolved much beyond zoom. But I think at the, at the core of it is that at the core of it is like, you got to drive interactions. You got to you got to put somebody on a pedestal and then offer the people that aren't on a pedestal a chance to meet that someone on a pedestal somewhere, right? So like it can be all in one like Airmeet does very very efficiently or it can be a Zoom call to another platform or you know however that is. But like to me it was it was clear that your tool I I get pitched online event tools all the time and it's all about like signals and attribution and monetization and whatever to me from the moment that i interacted with your tool it was clear that it was driven to get people to connect to each other and that's why i love it and then i started following you and everything else and i'm gonna you know keep flattering you all talk long but so let's get into so you you said something awesome a second ago which i think is reflective of the post you put on linkedin today which i earmarked because i think it's great this idea that the event the purpose, there has to be a purpose for that event. And that purpose should be to drive some kind of feeling, some kind of emotion. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? I mean, what do people remember? It's like that famous quote from um, Maya Angelou. I mean, it's, like, it's one of my favorite quotes. It's probably a lot of people's favorite quotes, right? You you remember what people, how, how people made you feel at the end of the day. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing. You don't remember what people said. You remember how they made you feel, something like that, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So what's one way to differentiate today? It's harder to differentiate, right? Because at the end of the day, almost everything you do will probably be commoditized in some way at some point, right? It's just, it's just the natural way things are progressing. It's, it's, it's actually easier to start a business today. This could be debated, but it's, it's easier to start a business and easier to go to market today than ever before, because there's so many ways you could do it. But like, it's it's harder to grow and sustain that business, right? And I build defensibility around the business. So how do you build defensibility around your business? The brand is one way, but the brand is just a platform for people to participate on. So if you don't take the, the onus of like trying to figure out how to get people to 
be part of the brand with you. This kind of goes back to the, one of the big bets we have for this year, which is the creator studio, you know, creator led, if you want to say that creator first approach. But if you don't get people to participate with you and partner up with them in a way that is meaningfully beneficial to them and to you, but then ultimately the brand, I think you're going to find it, it it's harder to build long-term defensibility because you're always going to have to be chasing or using channels that will increasingly over time get more competitive, more crowded, cost more money because it's 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 not like a zero sum game. So you're going to have to do stuff that is uniquely human and not something that can be gamified by a machine and what a machine can for the most part right now, I don't think this can happen. A machine does not know who you are and your stories. If you ask like ChatGPT or any of these AI tools, hey, tell me the time that I uh, went to 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 the, visit this place, how I felt about that experience, what I experienced. You could never do it. Yeah. So what I'm getting at is when you take the human elements and you and you really partner up with people that have a similar belief system, similar motivations, but are from a you know from from diverse places around the world, backgrounds, etc. You you unlock this unique perspective that no machine tool algorithm can do. And guess what? Like events are a great platform for your brand to then share those stories, share those points of view, and and educate people. So yeah, I'll I'll just stop there because maybe there's a lot to unpack there, but that's 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 kind of how I believe in it. I, I I agree, man. So you know the first the first interaction you and I had was getting you on Matt Kleinrock's event marketing redefined show, right? And he talks a lot about the purpose of your trade show booth, right? Like what is it that you're trying to drive at, and it has to have like an outcome, right? Same thing with events. You listed a couple things here in and and I agree a hundred percent, right? Like your ultimate moat is human interaction, right? Like the, the human connection between people is, is your ultimate moat inside of a, inside of a rapidly automating commoditizing world, right? You put the five emotions that attendees want to feel are hopeful, adventurous, active, accepted, motivated. And then you had a couple things of just like how you, how you make that happen through either entertainment or facilitating networking, using interactive activities. You wanna you wanna just kind of talk about how you've how you've seen that work in other either online events or different things, right? Like maybe how do you how do you do a online event that is that is one of these kinds of like emotions? Do you have like a like an example of how to execute something like that? The first yes, yeah, so the first thing you got to do is is define three things: who, why, and what. Before you can start to start to think about these emotions, like which emotions you want to pull out. You have to first ask yourself, and you got to be specific in this definition. Who are we building this event for? I don't know, Pablo. I don't know if people spend enough time on the who, quite frankly. Agree, agree. I mean, just like, but like, it's not like, hey, we want we want B two B marketers. Yeah. That's like that, that's our like highest level persona, just B two B marketers. Like, no, like that's like not specific enough. Like, like who? Like I, even I would get down to, in some cases, age demographics. Because yeah. if I was trying to market an event to 20, 25-year-old, 30-year-olds, I would do a lot of my marketing, quite frankly, on TikTok, even though I'm not a huge TikTok fan. And I would I would like emulate things that they're like thinking and seeing on TikTok right now and other like social platforms like, like around my event. Like what is like the trends, the memes that they care about, right? Like that's how you start to hit on that that ham, the H, triple A's and M, right? The, and then it's like, well, why would they come? Like, why are they looking... Why would they spend time with you? That's the ultimate question. We talked about like your time and attention is so valuable. Like why would someone signing up is super easy unless you're putting a big gate in front of it from a cost standpoint, which sometimes is valuable and and is important to do. But like a lot of times it's it's a free event or whatever. Like why would they then spend the time to show up? Like give you their attention, their most prized asset. To really think through that, like a lot of this, everything in marketing and sales and life, it comes down to human behavior and instinct and psychology and so if you start to think through that and then des- and then design the event around, okay, we got the who defined, we got the why, what type of event is best to facilitate the outcome that we're looking to get as the host of the event and from, from the audience's point of view, it might actually be, to your point, like a small group dinner. We were initially thinking maybe it's like this 
this big, you know, you know, 200 person in person, like conference type thing, but like, no, actually to really get that feeling of connectedness and get those people to really understand who we are as a business, as a brand, it's better to have 15 to 20 people versus 200. Cause at the end of the day, that's who we can get to our goal faster too, which is revenue. Versus, no, we want to just expose a large amount of people to the brand and have them feel something, but maybe not that close knit connectiveness. We're going to do a larger in person event or maybe an online event, right? Like, yes. and then we're going to design. Then it's about how do you design an event that matches to the who, why, and what? The how is important, right? And then there's the what, where, and the when, but that's kind of obvious. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm always trying to think about. Now that you understand like the who, why, and and what, then it's like the how is about storytelling. So if you can craft the event story before you think about run a show or agenda or way before Q to Q, you you need to think about the story. Then it's like, all right, well, if the story I'm trying to tell is around inspiration at the highest level, it's like I'm trying to inspire people through this particular point of view I have. Maybe we'll do a mind reader at the event who will captivate the audience and inspire them to think a bit differently because their, their mind's blown that she, that she can read people's minds. We did that recently with a mind reader and people were blown away because it was an inspiring event. So anyway, that's just an example. Maybe that was a lot to unpack, but yeah. I love that, man. Well, you know what I would love to dig in there, man, is, is the storytelling aspect of it, right? Because what I'm hearing from you is most people, they don't think about the who, right? And, and the who is, is a very critical piece Digging in as deep as possible of just like this type of person, I want to provide this type of experience and then storytell. I'm 100% on board with that. When you talk about storytelling through an event, right? Like I, I recently, I've been through the rabbit holes on storytelling, right? Like I've, I've read like six books on storytelling. I have my own frameworks that I've amalgamated throughout all of them. I've never seen a storytelling through live event framework. Is it? Like, do you think of programming that starts with like a care, you know, I, I think of story and I think of like character, context, conflict, big idea, resolution, future state. I mean, are you, are you like planning a speaker during those times and that kind of framework? Tell me a little bit more about storytelling through an event. No, it's a, it's a good question. So like, I believe online events and in-person events have to feel two way. So if in in some moments they'll feel one way, meaning you're talking at the audience versus including them in the storytelling. So you have to ask yourself how much of the run of show as you design the event includes them in the story versus just you're telling the story to them. Hmm. So and that has to do with then the theme, right? What's the theme or what's the thematic thing that you're trying to get across from a from a you know story? And that's like the story arc, if you will, right? So like. It's storytelling, just like content events is a loaded term, loaded word. So like you have to take it like you have a grain of salt and how you think about it. But, at, you know, you, you have to first ask yourself, number one, what are we trying to get people to remember and feel? And so like when they leave this event and think about it a few days later, this is what they're going to try to remember, or these are the actions we want them to take. This is what we want them to ideally do, et cetera, et cetera. And how do you align that with the story you tell at the highest of levels, but then mapping that story into each speaker? I think the other thing people neglect to do well enough is curate the speakers and the other things that aren't just speaking at the audience Mm. in an event agenda Mm. to bring out the story. So for example, like... If I was doing, you know, well, Aramid's going to do more in-person events hosted in, in... Q2 will do the first one, Q3, Q4 will do more. If I was doing an in-person event, 30% of the event will be at the most pure content talking at the audience. The rest is either going to be hands-on education, through instructor-led live, moments of networking, moments of shared experiences, moments of serendipity. But it will be most of those will be kind of structured in a way to help them, them being the audience. Like feel that story come to life. So when they leave, they're like, oh yeah, that event was all about a new way for me to kind of think about my go-to-market, do more of an event-first approach. I heard from a number of people, both in group setting and one-to-one setting, how to do that versus an online event where you mm-hmm. might have 
you definitely will have a different approach to doing that because of many reasons. You can't activate people's senses like you can in person. You can't, you know, in person, you actually can't include them as much as you can in an online environment when you're actually ta- when you're actually presenting. Online mm-hmm. is better for including the audience during your presentation than it is in person, ironically. Most yeah. people don't even think about that. Uh, yeah. Oof. That was a golden nugget right there. I'm going to have my team clip that and paste that across all my social media channels. So if you could just give this a pause right now, go into the show notes and connect with me on whatever platform you like to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever you want to be a part of my life in connect with me there. I'm going to share that clip and you can share it with your friends so that they get the same lesson. It'll be adding value to their life. And while you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to the show. If you haven't already hit five star review, right? You don't have to leave a review. You just got to hit five stars. If you want to leave a review, cool. And maybe send the episode to your friend. That would be awesome. That's it. I'm done. Back to the show. It's like right now, like, you know, we could be including this audience a lot more. I kind of, you know, folks, if you want to chime in, have questions, like, let me know. But you, like, you, You've right? actually been really good at this, Mark, of like including the audience and chatting with them because you obviously do this often. One thing I got to tell you, though, is you got to change your your settings from host and panelist to all attendees so they can all see you or else it's just me seeing how awesome you've been at including the audience. <laughs> this is one of my biggest gripes with Zoom is that's the default it. setting. So okay. I have a lot of great for Zoom. Zoom is a good basic technology. Anyway, move on from okay. that. I get it. I get it. Everyone, I get it. No one, so no one was seeing. Thank you for finally. Yeah, no one. But, was but to your point, to your comments. point, just so as as you're doing this, right? Like that that realization that online events are actually a better a better way to engage an audience than live events happened to me in kind of like three quarters of the way into 2020, right? Like I've, I've always seen myself as a, somebody that needs to understand networking and relationship building and whatever. And I love going to trade shows and conferences. So I was like, at one point I'm like, I need to become a connoisseur of, by the way, this is how I find your platform. Right. But like, I'm like, I need to become a connoisseur of how this stuff happens now in the, in the COVID world. Right. And I went all in on my buddy, Justin Shanks event, the growth now movement summit. And what I realized was that me as a guy that loves going to conferences and trade shows, I generally, actually not generally, since about midway through 2019, I almost completely stopped going to any kind of like keynotes, almost completely stopped going to like breakout sessions. And I'm the hallway conference guy, right? Like I'm literally there just making connections all the time because to me, that's where the value is, right? Like I can watch all that content on YouTube or look it up. And what I realized in in the first online event that I really dedicated myself to in late 2020 was that for the first time ever by being Mr. Chat guy in the in the in the comments while the keynotes were happening I was networking with all of the attendees watching the content and forming a relationship with the keynote speakers all at the same time which is impossible in in person events right so like that was a big aha moment for me too which is why I'm so big on platforms like yours I mean, that could be the the point of the day, right? In the talk, right? Where people overlook the fact that, yeah, there could be Q&A with speakers at the end or the speakers like big and like then there's VIP, like where you find them in the networking, you know, after our you know party, whatever. But like, yeah, I mean, so this is good and bad, right? Like, the, the good thing about it is everything you just said. The bad thing is like, it's not that same kind of connection, that proximity. You can shake Correct. the person's hand, you know, you say, oh, thank you so much. But look, you know, you have to th- take what you can get. And some of those things just aren't feasible or scalable, right? And like, yeah. is it better to only do it in person or to do it both in person and online? You know, it's like it's pros and cons, right? There's, so at the end of the day, what I always tell people is you want to have a balanced portfolio of events, just like a good financial portfolio. You never want to be too overweight in any type of sector, you know, you just want to be balanced, you know, and you could have, you could have more risk in certain places. That's okay. Right. Depending on, you know, all your circumstances, but you don't want to just like in the past, what we used to do is like do a lot of in-person events basically, and some really crappy webinars. And that was the event portfolio. Like those days, you got to move on from those days like that. If you're still doing that, please try to have a more balanced portfolio, have conversational webinars that are much more two-way and not what the webinar in the past has been. Make sure you do in-person and online. Make sure you build, I call it an event wave throughout the year, right? So you're catering to different kind of audiences, either based off of where they are in the customer journey, 
segments you have. Again, going back to that who, who they care about, like who they are. And that's how you can evoke those, those, those feelings when the resonance of what you're saying and, and, and facilitating matches to the audience, the feelings then start to really come out. It's all about resonance when it comes to events. And I think a lot of people miss that as well. Yeah. I love that, man. I love that. I love that idea of the event wave. And it makes me think, it makes me think of kind of the story that we're telling, right? Like the event has to have a story. The series of events need to have an overarching story. And if you can figure out the timing slash cadence of topic and online and offline, you can drive these like really magical things at a very, in a very efficient pace, right? Because if you don't have to plan, you know, for six months for like an in-person event, you can be warming it up through the, through the online spectrum and have the, have the balanced portfolio. The other thing that I think is to me, the through, the through line right now for me is efficiency, right? Like this idea that you can have more interactions with people through online events that then lead to real person events and, and how effective all that is. The other part where it's more efficient as well is the content piece, right? It is less expensive to capture your content in the online event as it is in the in-person event, but I think you should be doing it in both. So I would love to, I would love to, as a guy that has, you know, built out real content strategies and event strategies at HubSpot, Drift and AirMeet, which by the way, I didn't even talk about the fact that you've been at like two of the biggest kind of success stories in, in, in B2B tech and now soon to be third. But what do you, when you think about content coming from an event, what do you focus on the most? How do you think about the content piece for post event? Well, I love how you're talking about efficiency, which is interesting because it's also like kind of like, I almost think sometimes efficiency is a negative. You, people think of it in a negative way because it's like, well, that's stripping away the essence of things. Maybe if you're becoming more efficient, but that's a whole other, like, maybe we yeah. go over there well, later. I, think but of like, go- Dude, I, I come from green building. So I'm like obsessed with efficiency just from a lack of waste standpoint. I, I'm all for it. I love efficiency. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, I just feel like sometimes people think, well, if you're more efficient, that means you have to cut. Thing. Anyway, but like, yeah, so so go back to your the, the question about content. The other thing I highly recommend people do, as you think about this, this who, why, and what, and then the how, is as you're building the, the, the brief for the event or the episodic events, the season or the series, whatever, at that same time, when you're planning all that, plan the assets that are going to come from it. Don't think of it as an afterthought. A lot of times, some things, things like this are thought as an afterthought. It's like, oh, we just did this. Like, now what do we do? So I'll give you a good example. I have many of these examples. I'll just give you this one. And if you want more, let me know. We we did an online event at Drift before the pandemic. This was this is a super cool story. So it was called a new funnel for a new decade. It was in Feb 2020. Vividly remember this because I was about to exactly totally play offense on your conscious strategy. Love it. Proactive offense, right? Offense is the best defense. Before the pandemic, Feb 2020, it was right before my first child, both, I have sons, actually two sons, but before my first son was born, we did this event, new decade for a new funnel for a new decade. And we specifically knew we were going to create two huge cornerstone content assets from it. We're going to create this great ebook and we're going to create this online course from it as well. So we designed the entire event, speakers, run a show, everything with that lens in mind. Granted, we didn't think enough about engagement and interactivity because we were actually, I think at the time, using Zoom still. Now, I know if it's a Zoom, but like it was kind of just, a, we were just talking at people with some chat, right? It wasn't very, but like it was fine. We didn't get great data signals. We, we didn't get in that, but we knew from this event that like we're going to create these two assets. And when you look at the actual pipeline that those two assets plus the, plus the event created, huge. I don't remember the exact number, but it was massive compared to just the webinars we were doing. And this is also about a two to three hour event, eight, nine dynamic speakers speaking for 15 to 20, 25 minutes each. There was a host and then the pandemic happened. And then we pivoted to rev growth in April and kind of the rest is history, whatever. But like we were doing this my days at HubSpot, which just with like online webinars or online trainings. We would take a Online training, we did these all the time. We did, this was crazy, Pablo. We did 60 landing page reviews or 60 emails in 60 minutes. So we would rip through and look at an email that the customer submitted and say, here's all the things that are good. Here's all the things that were not so great and give feedback. 
1660. All that, all those advice, all that best practice, all those examples, those just became blog posts. That was, that was kind of the thing to do back then, right? It was blog posts. So like, yeah, I mean, it, I, I love the comment, Tony, your offense on your content strategy, like just plan it out ahead of time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. And by the way, so going back to going back to the whole green building day stuff, right? Like people would have this misconception that building a green building was more expensive, but really all it was, was like a reallocation of resources to like the design and planning side. And then on the back end, it basically costs, it'll cost the same and it'll be a much better building, right? As long as you think of it on the front end, I think of the same thing as what you just talked about, man, that's brilliant, right? Like so many people want to write a book. So many people want to do an online course. We've been able to, I haven't gotten to the book level yet, right? But this idea of planning your online course to deliver it live with some expert that's going to come teach something to your audience, you now get the engagement on the back end, you get the content, and then you're able to chop it up and put it into the contextual format that what you want at the end of it for an online course is the ultimate inefficiency, right? Like if, if you, the ultimate inefficiency, not ultimate inefficiency, right? Like if you are, if you are a resource scarce company that is trying to do multiple things, that's how you do it, right? We got a show tomorrow. So we're doing, we've gone very much into the idea of online cohort courses and cohort courses as lead magnets and as experiences and how to get people you know, if you have this like ongoing internet talk show where there's a ton of people that have inside jokes already, how do you get somebody like zero to 30 if they like what they're doing so they come back and not feel out of it? So we're developing this online course for this rental property investing company. And for the online course, we want to create a lead magnet to get people to the online course. So tomorrow we're doing, you know, the course is like, how to understand rental property investing, the lead magnet tomorrow's show is going to be the three places you didn't have capital in order that you didn't know you had capital in that you can use to invest in rental properties. And we're going to take that one show tomorrow and turn the main concepts into a lead magnet that then is the feeder for the course that we've been shooting throughout the, throughout like the year as like instructional things on the show, right? So it just becomes super ultra efficient that you can do through an online event as long as you're planning appropriately. Like you said, man, I love it. Triple threat. Triple. And so you have the event, cornerstone content. I call those things like cornerstone content assets yeah. and then clips commercials. Yeah. Right. And, and, it's, it's and like, you have the commercials. Yep. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's all of it, right? You have the triple yeah. threat, the three things. I mean, it's, yeah. and that's, and that's what we're doing in Airbnb. If you go to Airbnb's website, we don't have the best content. You know, I come from a pretty heavy content background. That's fine. You know, earlier stage startup, we're going to have a huge time out. When you say, when you say the best content, are you talking about like production quality? Or are you talking about like strategic? What do you mean by the best content? Oh, right. Probably, probably both. Like if you just go to okay. resources, like, you know, we don't have like the great greatest eBooks and we don't need courses yet. We don't have a ton of resources guide. That's all changed. Got we it. hired an amazing director of content. She and I worked at Drift. Her name's Colleen. She started about three months ago. Huge things in store. We have a huge announcement coming up soon for the first course we're going to drop soon, completely free. But yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, and we're going to actually build that course live first, reuse it, learn from it. And then we will eventually do it. So it's like nicely re- recorded, high fidelity videos. But like, that's like, again, that's like, you know, crawl, walk, run, if you will. Like my, my second child now is in the crawl phase. He's trying to walk. Like it's, I, it's the same thing here, right? It's yeah. <laughs> totally, man. What are your thoughts on, I, I want to get into, into creator studio, but one of the things that I initially started doing that something that I really focus on when it comes to event content, I find that people at events over overcorrect for the idea of getting the, the, like the stage programmatic content from the event. And what I've been focusing more is on in events and even, even here, right? Like is how do you, how do you give attendees like the, as you know, how you give attendees a sliver of the stage so that they can a feel more a part of it. B, if you give them a piece of content that comes from an event and that makes them look like they were more important than they were an event, they're likely going to share it. And C, this idea that when you're doing events, one of the big reasons people ask is like, who else is there? Right. So like, because of that, we've been doing, you know, like clients of mine will, We'll set up like a podcast at a trade show booth and create like the thought leaders of this conference kind of activation or like the event itself 
having like one corner where you can go get interviewed about like what your expertise is and what brought you here and whatever and post produce. Have you ever, have you ever like thought about that idea of instead of focusing it on the star of the stage, focusing it on the audience more? Have you ever seen anything like that anywhere else? Oh yeah. I mean, my philosophy, I just, I've taken this from my time at HubSpot and Drift. HubSpot was sold for the customer. Drift was put the customer at the center of everything you do. Like literally those were like the models of the two companies. Yeah. Like values. I now instead of Aramis, I like put the attendee at the center of the event. Yeah. Attendees first, right? So it's like, so how do you do that? Like one of the things that we're going to start doing more and, and experiment with and try things with online, even in person is like, hey, can you get the people who are signing up to help kind of pick and curate the agenda, the sessions? Mm-hmm. Can you get them involved ahead of time? Can you help can you get them involved in the yeah, and like the promotion? Can you can you create advocacy before the event? Things we're thinking about with Influitive. How do you do that during the event? How do you create advocacy during the event, right? And some of that's technology. Some of that's programming, right? It goes back to the who, why, what, and how. Mm-hmm. But yes, including them. It's I, I talk a lot about like one-way versus two-way. Like one way, just p- pushing stuff on people versus pulling them in, right? That great book, Switch. Have you read the book, Switch? I have not. I need to put it on my list. It's a good book. It's a great book. Okay. It's a lot about psychology. It's, very, it's a business book at the end of the day, but it's a very good book. I've read it many times. And, Sounds like um, everything I like, psychology and business. Yeah. <laughs> Continue. yeah. And they have this like idea that's like, I think it's more of a metaphor around like, you know, who are you driving the elephant or is the elephant driving you? So, you know, I'm not going to unpack that now, but like the point is going back to your question is how much is the audience like driving what they're experiencing during the event? So Sorry if I just broke up there. I was having a little good, internet. Good, yeah. Apologies. So like, yeah, how, how is the audience driving that? And for us, the way we approach it and the way I've always approached it is you got to include them. And that means making them be part of the content. One, one of the things I love about how we design our events is kind of like the clubhouse effect. We can raise your hand and come on stage or go on mic. Yes. That's good. But how about if you just raise your hand and come onto the stage? There's people that do that. You'd be surprised. It's, it's not everyone, obviously, but like giving people the ability to, to participate in the conversation and that gives the audience a, a point of view that they might not have been expecting or, you know, broader points of view, which is good for everything. Inclusion is, is so important when it comes to events. Great thing to do. Right. So like, I don't know. I, I, my whole point is, you know, even post event, when you get the, the the folks who, and you look at the data post event and say, well, these are the people that showed high intent, medium intent, and low intent. And that doesn't mean from a buying standpoint, that could just be an event engagement intent signal. How do we want to kind of follow up with them differently? And that's still another thing that because of technology, because of other things, like even today, you probably can't see who was most engaged from a watch time, from a chat thing, from, you know, but if you knew that, like, and you could see that kind of at scale and especially for large events, you would, you would follow up with them differently. Wouldn't you, Pablo? Like you would, you would include them differently moving forward as you do more events. Maybe, I don't know. I'm just making, making that up kind of as I think about this. <laughs> no, I love it, man. I love it. And I totally agree. You know, what I really love about what you just said is that idea of letting people on the stage, right? Like that idea of like raising the hand coming up and the value of that is so underrated, right? Like for me, I see it twofold. You you mentioned it in your own words, but the outsourcing of context is huge, right? Like I I basically learned all this stuff by watching Gary Vee in the sense that his all his keynotes pre-pandemic were like 15 minutes of whatever rant and then let audience participation happen. And because yeah. of the different audience participation, and then he would post-produce that clip onto his social media. And that did two things, right? It outsourced the context, which was, hey, you know, somebody he answers the same four things, right? Like it's like content, bro, hustle, bro. You know, like it's like, he's got like four main, main points. I agree with all of it for the record. I'm a super Gary V fan. And, but because he had different people asking it in different ways, it would land differently, even though it was the same answer, right? Like I call that outsourcing context. So if I see somebody that looks like me, ask that question, I'm more likely to believe it. If I see somebody that asks it in a way that I would ask it, I'm more likely to believe it, even if it's the same response. And the other thing that it does is it incentivizes you to go to the event, right? Like I started going to different things that Gary Vee would show up at because I knew that if I 
asked a really particularly smart question that served him with an answer, I would show up in his content feed in micro content. And then I could use that stuff to socially validate this idea that I've interacted with Gary Vee like five or six times. Right. So like, I, th- I think that that whole, that whole concept is super, super underrated. And I, that's another thing that I love about your platform. So I, I agree. I, I say, you gotta, I agree. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, Mark, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask Ryan to start letting people in as panelists for the second part of this thing. Uh-huh. You're free to go. I know you got kids and you probably got a Bruins game to go to or something like that. I want to ask you yeah. the thing that I'm really obsessed about is this creator studio thing, man. Like, can you, yeah. so, so I, it, to me, it's the next generation of influencer marketing play. And it's that y'all are building an ecosystem around empowering creators to go do their own thing because you know that it's going to come back to you in some way. Can you just tell people a little bit of how you, you know, what, what the idea was behind it and what you're trying to do with it? Cause I think it's something that everybody should key in on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm happy to stick around for a little bit more too. That's fine. Cool. looks like we have Tony maybe coming on. That's, that's absolutely. And, and you're very welcome, Kirsten. Thank you for coming. The questions. It, it goes. So like, why? Like it always goes to like, what are the trends going on that are necessitating the need for something like the creator studio and like, yeah, influencer marketing 2.0, or, you know, it needs to be part of B2C to B2B now, like taking inspiration from B2C, but like there's secular trends happening, right? So there's this brain spam thing is a big issue. And I'd love to know other people's thoughts are like, Hey, Michael, Tony, Vienna, like what, like, what, what do you feel when you think about, you know, the stuff you see online today? I see a lot of things from brands that are pretty generic, not too relatable to me, you know, coming from the brand's point of view, not a person's point of view. And like, you know, it takes a lot of time for me to develop trust with the brand and develop trust with the, with, with you know, with that product. Right. But, you know, if I have an, a relationship with a person and there's already trust established and a good, good example of this is, is your doctor, your doctor might be part of a huge conglomerate, right? Harvard Pilgrim, Kaiser, whatever. Do you trust Kaiser or Harvard Pilgrim or do you trust your doctor who works for them or is affiliated with them? Mm. You trust the doctor, right? Yeah. That's at the purest form of this creator studio idea, what we're talking about here, right? Instead of trusting Airbeat, you're trusting the people that we've partnered with, both internal employees and people in the network to to, to have a relationship with, right? To, To ultimately maybe do business with. So there's a lot to unpack there. I can go on and on about this, but yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that for right now. See, I see some people in here. Can, so. can you just, on a fundamental level, what's different between a creator studio, which I think is brilliant, and a podcast network, which I think is meh? You know, one is podcast network is kind of like transactional, like you you buy your way into that. You know, and, you know, it's, it's again, it goes kind of like it's like, you know, how much value are you adding to the people that are doing those podcasts versus you know, the value that they're getting, you know, so that, but like for me, like a creator studio is, it's all about like the partnership and the relationship that the creator is, is receiving from the brand and vice versa. And it's much more about doing something together in a, in a way that increases the net value for both the creator and the brand and doing it in a strategic way versus just saying, Hey, we have, we have some money to spend and we want to do this, you know, this thing. And we just want to buy some podcasts and, you know, you know, take that audience and, and, you know, let, let people know about HubSpot in this case, if that's the brand you're, you know, initiating, you know, thinking about. And I think for HubSpot, that's, that might be an appropriate way. I think I, I would, if I was HubSpot, I would do that plus the creator studio and see which one pans out more at the end of the day. Right. But the, but for me, like creator studio is not just about the actual idea of influencer marketing. It's about, getting those creators to be speakers at events. So we're going to have them be speakers at events for both in-person and online, getting them to create content with us, getting them to be better at their craft. It's all about like, we believe that Aramid is here to help the creative hero. If you think of yourself as a creative hero, we want to partner with you to either helping you get access to the tool, becoming a creator, whatever it is, and help you hone in on your craft and help you do what you love. So it's like fulfilling the mission of the company at the end of the day, too, to some degree. So yeah, I I, I think it's multitude of things, but it, but for me, it's it's about partnership, partnership and partnering versus just saying, hey, I want to I want to buy your audience and send out an email or blast our brand in our podcast, which I still, in my opinion, is more brand spam. Yeah. I love it, man. I love the whole vision of it and the tie-in of, 
you're not just putting a whole bunch of audiences together to like transactionally like share stuff. You are helping people form, right? Like you are helping them be better at it, right? Like and 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 formation, you're going to give them speaking opportunities at events like nobody's doing that stuff, right? Like that whole community thing is awesome. Mark, before I before we switch into just like open Q&A so that this thing is for the podcast, how do people get in contact with you? What's the best way? Of course, we've been talking about your your platform is Airmeet, right? Like if you if you believe in this stuff and clearly he knows this stuff with event-led growth and he is building a platform for event-led growth. So, you know, if he's defined the problem as good as you believe he has, then obviously his solution is the best one. But con- connecting with you, Mark, what's the best way to, to follow up with you after this? Yeah, Google my name. You can, LinkedIn is where I'm most active these days. Not too active on Twitter anymore, unfortunately. I, you know, I don't know who who knows what's going to happen with Twitter. I mean, I don't know. I'm not really on Facebook. I gave up Facebook as soon as I left college because I wasn't too keen on it. That was way back in 2007. Fun fact: I was one of the first 25 colleges to ever get access to Facebook, and I told myself when I was at college, I was like, "If man, if they open this up to the world, this is going to be some interesting times. I think they should keep this kind of." Anyway, the rest is kind of history. You were right. uh, You were right. That was way back in 2004. So I could start to see the dynamics play out. And I just gave it up because I was like, this is not going to be good. But uh, yeah, so I digress. LinkedIn is where you can find me. That's even becoming, you know, whatever it is. But it's better than I think a lot of the other platforms. And at the end of the day, I would love to just have one-to-one conversations with anyone. So if you want to reach out to me and you want to chat about something, just just let me know. You're a great follow on LinkedIn. So I just want to like encourage anybody to to do that, right? Like you're one of my favorite followers on LinkedIn. Mark, I appreciate you making time for this, man. Like I know that you are you are the CMO of a high growth startup, B2B SaaS company. I know that your time is limited. I know you got kids. I really welcome this conversation. I really admire the way that you think about go to market. So the opportunity to get to pick your brain means a lot to me, man. And I really, really appreciate you coming on, man. I really appreciate you having me. And yeah, thanks for all the participation in the conversation. Thanks, everyone. There you go. If you uh, if you really like that conversation about events and how to think of events differently and want kind of like some breadcrumbs into how to go from like an event strategy to a community strategy, Francisco Arizmendi on episode 189 of the show, How He Built a Multi-City Community from Scratch, is the episode you want to go check out. It's a really, really great conversation about exactly how he did that, going city to city, building out different events, uh, and now how he's doing it, incorporating online events. Francisco Arizmendi, episode 189. But go ahead, reach out to Mark, connect with him, and I'd love for you to connect with me and uh, let me know what you got from this episode. And of course, got to thank my team, as always. Number one, I always thank Roanne because she just keeps me doing all the things I need to be doing as the account manager on this project. Gina, who's built this amazing world-class culture and brought us an amazing team and recruited amazing talent, like her right-hand Marge, who makes everything happen. Um, JP, our employee number one, who does all the all the cool stuff, right? He's making all the videos, he's making all the, all the audio stuff, everything that you see and touch is touched by the creative uh, director of our company, JP, employee number one, who is training another awesome creative, Philippe, to, um, you know, follow in his footsteps and do great things for us, like the client activations that we do for our clients, and repurposing that type of content, all helped by Rita, our content strategist, who basically takes the things that we promise and make sure that you get the results that we say um, based on the content that we are creating, right? Like making sure it's all congruent, the story is right, that you're getting the results that you need. Our two awesome account managers, uh, Joanna and Joyce, and our amazing superstar writer, Nicola, who's been my buddy now for, I don't know, like four or five years. He's turning into a man. When I first started mentoring when he was 13, he interviewed me on a podcast, and now he's becoming a world-class writer. So I want to thank the whole team. And I want to encourage you to always, always consider the impact of relationships being more valuable than transactions. See you next week.